So a few months ago, I told you all about the greatest evangelism story in my life. Now I'd like to discuss one of the greatest evangelism stories in the Bible, the revival of Nineveh. This sermon all started out with a phone call from our very own Pastor Jay. I'm very busy at work, by the way, when I get this phone call. And he tells me that one of our elders needs to preach on being a beacon, one of our church philosophies. We are all called to be beacons or a lighthouse to the world, sharing the good news with all of those around us. Eventually, I gave in to Jay's persuasive nature, which I'm sure everyone here is familiar with, and agreed to do a sermon. However, the whole time, I'm thinking about how busy I am with a new child and a big project at work. After our conversation, I called my wife at lunch, and I said, Honey, I have to do a sermon on the 11th in a somewhat depressed voice. And it wasn't until my car ride home when I realized just how wrong my thinking was. Here I am, semi-complaining that I have to write and preach a sermon. However, the car ride home gave me time to think and realize my newfound perspective on the matter. I get to preach a sermon, and I don't have to preach a sermon. Get to and have to are two fundamentally different mindsets. It is a privilege to get to share God's word with the people, and you and I both have to realize that this is not a chore. While the thinking and praying continued in my car ride home, I was reminded of a certain Bible story that I'm sure we have all heard, Jonah. Now everyone knows the basic story about how a guy named Jonah gets eaten by a whale. Now I know what some of you in this very room are thinking. Brad, we all know the story. But come on, there has to be a stretch. No one really survived getting eaten and spit up by a whale. The book of Jonah has some good teachings and all, but really, a whale? That's quite the fish story. I would like to draw your attention to the following verse from the man, yes, Jesus himself, when he collaborates the story in Matthew 12, 39 through 41. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so was the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Now I'm not one to disagree with the words written in the Bible especially the ones that are written in red, and neither should you. Stop missing the point by focusing on the great fish and focus on the great God in this book. Now let's move on to the place of the story, Nineveh. This is modern-day Iraq, and archaeologists know exactly where it is. They find plenty of artifacts there. Nineveh was the capital city the Assyrian Empire, with over 600,000 people living there. 
And the book of Jonah confirms this by saying it takes three days to walk across the city. Nineveh was also mentioned several times in the Bible, Genesis, Nahum, and of course Jonah. So now that we have all those credibility factors out of the way, let's get on to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah starts out with, The word of God came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. Pretty cut and dry, right? People often wonder what God is saying to them. But this, this wasn't one of those occasions. God directly told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah, however, said no and headed to Tarshish. It's worth noting that Tarshish was entirely in the wrong direction. Nineveh was northeast and Tarshish was southwest from Jonah's hometown. So why wouldn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Well, there are actually some pretty decent reasons. Primarily, Jonah was Jewish, and the Assyrians in Nineveh hated Jews. Assyrians were well known for skinning people alive, burning them alive, gouging out their eyes, and all sorts of evil things like that. In fact, they would even pile up human skulls outside their walls to act as deterrents. So I asked the question, what kind of attitude does Jonah have at this point in the story? Was it a get-to attitude? No. Did Jonah even have a have-to attitude? Nope. He left in the opposite way, and he even paid money to get on a ship to go in the opposite way. Jonah was more concerned about himself rather than letting the strength of God protect him from the evil city of Nineveh. How many times has God been telling you, go one way while you went the other way because it was easier? Here I am, an evangelism team minister, not wanting to preach a sermon on God's word. We all have bad days when we do things that wouldn't exactly thrill God. We all have excuses, and we all fall short of his glory. But don't let that hold you down. Get back up and do what God wants you to do. We are all called with the Great Commission to share. Just make sure you don't wait too long to get to God's work like Jonah did. A whale was used by God to change Jonah's way of thinking. Luckily, it was just a car ride home for me to change my way of thinking. What does God have to do to change your way of thinking? So moving on in Jonah, I just wanted to briefly touch on the time between when Jonah said no and Jonah arriving in Nineveh. So Jonah boards this boat in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And a huge storm comes up. I'm talking like biblical proportions here. All right? There's several seasoned sailors aboard this ship that were praying to every false idol they could possibly think of. When finally, they talked to Jonah. And Jonah said to them, Throw me overboard. I have offended God. Well, the sailors did just that, and the storm was calmed. 
And God used another one of his creations to swallow up Jonah. A whale, a big fish, whatever. This is where Jonah stayed for three days before being deposited on the beach. So now the heart of the story, the biggest revival in the Bible. Jonah goes into the city of Nineveh and tells the people of their wicked ways. He drops his reluctant have-to attitude and embraces God's plan to tell the people that in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned by God. The entire city repented of their sins in three days. And I want to also add that most of the people had their hearts transformed by God in just one day. So take a second and think about that. 600,000 people in three short days. The only way that Jonah was able to turn the entire city was because he had a get-to attitude. How did Jonah start this revival, you may ask? He simply spoke God's word, and his words spread like wildfire throughout the city. One of our church philosophies is being a beacon or a lighthouse to the world around us. Jonah went to Nineveh, a place full of people who had turned away from God. Well, a survey in 2009 says that only 30% of Nevadans go to church on a weekly basis. So we don't have to walk 500 miles to Nineveh. Rather, all we have to do is walk out these church doors or our front door of our house to find people whom we get to share the gospel with. Most revivals start out with just a few people, just like in Jonah's case. So that's why I'm asking every one of you here today to come to the Go Center Revitalization Conference next weekend here at Covenant. So we can all ignite that fire and grow God's church. After the revival, something strange happened with our main character, Jonah. Almost unprofit-like. You would think he would be extremely happy, you know? Thanks, Lord, for using me to save your people. You and me, let's go on to the next town. Let's have another great revival there. However, we read in chapter 4, that Jonah became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Basically what Jonah is saying to the Lord is, I knew you were going to save those wretched people, so couldn't you have just done that when I was at home and saved me this long trip? This to me sounds like a have-to attitude. You know, woe's me. Do I have to go to Nineveh? Do I have to share what you told me to say to these people whom I don't even really like? I'm much too preoccupied with other things in my life to do your work, Lord. And if I have to go, then you're going to have to meet me more than halfway. To me, this just goes to reconfirm 
that time and time again, God uses people like you and me, sinners, people who fall short, to do his work. So next time God presents you with a task, are you going to reluctantly have to do his work? Or are you going to get to do it? The choice is yours. God's work will get done. Remember, you are only at your best when you have the get-to mindset. So just to recap, for everyone here who's a little sleep-deprived on the spring forward day, here was a sermon that started off with a guy, me, who didn't want to preach God's word. Just like Jonah, a guy who didn't want to tell people about God. Are you a person who doesn't want to tell someone about God? We all have our reasons. When you look at these reasons hard, I mean, really take a second to look at them. Aren't they all just excuses? You and I, we don't have to do anything. Jesus has already done it all for us. He died for you and me. He rose three days later for you and me. Conquering death and giving us all the free gift of eternal life. All we have to do is repent of our shortcomings and evil ways, just like Nineveh did, and believe in him. If you want to know more about this free gift he's giving, please talk to me or anybody else who's going to be preaching here this morning. Don't ever again be forced to have to do anything for Jesus. We get to glorify him in all we do. We get to share the gospel with others and be beacons of the faith. And we get to give to his church. And we thank God alone for all of this. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, I guess I get to preach a sermon this morning. Although when Pastor Jay first asked me to speak, I told him I had never given a 10-minute speech to anyone. I mentioned this to my son John, and he said, Mom, I don't think that's true. (laughs) Well, don't worry, you're not going to get that speech. Webster defines bless in several ways, one being to extol as holy or glorify. This is what it means to bless the Lord. Psalm 34 starts out, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. We bless him when we praise him for who he is, almighty, loving, and wise, and for what he does, create and rule the universe and every little part of our lives. Psalm 96 begins, O sing unto the Lord a new song, sing unto the Lord all the earth, Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day unto day. We bless God with our singing. And if you sing out of tune, don't worry, God's ear has autocorrect, and the song in your heart is always in tune. Bless God and sing with all your heart. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, 
who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. God is blessed when we remember to thank him for his goodness and his mercy. What a list. Who else can forgive sins? Many of us have been seriously sick this winter and have been or are being healed. Outside both Kujip Hospital in Papua New Guinea and Tenwek Hospital in Kenya are signs that read, We treat Jesus heals. I am walking, talking proof that Jesus heals. In Christ we are redeemed, no longer bound for destruction. God is generous with his mercy, and as a loving father, he delights in doing good things for us, his children. If we're treated unfairly or oppressed, we can ask him for justice. This may involve loving our enemies, but we know he hears us. A constant refrain among my children was, that's not fair. Well, as I told them, life isn't fair, but when we stand before God's throne, it will all come out right. Be thankful and bless the Lord. A question in the children's catechism asks, how can you glorify God? And the answer is, by loving him and doing what he commands. Praise him, sing to him, thank him, obey him. A second definition for bless is to bestow a benefit. This is how we bless each other. Remember the golden rule in Matthew 7:12: Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Galatians 6.10 says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to them that are of the household of faith. Thank you, deacons, fellowship, and everyone else who help in so many ways that the list goes on and on. Um, This church is a blessing to each and every one of us. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he told them to follow his example and serve one another. John 13, 17 says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We at Covenant are blessed. We also bless one another through prayer. James 5:16 says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It is so good to be in a congregation where requests are shared and prayed for, both in church and as God brings things to mind during the week. It is so comforting to know that not only does God know and care, but so do our fellow believers. When my husband and I went on missions, we could feel people praying for us. I'm a tough old lady who thinks I can handle anything and endure, but I know I need your prayers. We pray here for a wide variety of illnesses, troubles, and difficulties, and what a blessing it is to be part of a praying church. We bless our community. The Wednesday Kids Club is so full there's a waiting list because we need more helpers. Many of these kids do not go to church, and those kids need to hear about Jesus. Danelle and the interns teach the kids to sing, and in that way they stick Bible truths attached to tunes into their heads. We are also a blessing to their parents. Our contributions to Good Shepherds and the St. Francis Food Pantry bless many, And right now, we're preparing to bless veterans with Easter baskets. By supporting Awaken Awaken and the Crisis Pregnancy Center, we help deliver people from evil. Romans 12 tells us, bless them that curse you. Bless and curse not. And be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
So let's remember to pray for those people who oppose the way of righteousness. You can think of some. Pray for them. And, of course, the new playground will bless not only our kids on Sunday, but the homeschool group that meets here on Tuesday, the kids club on Wednesday, and the neighborhood kids every day. Next, we bless the world. By supporting foreign missions, we have a part in ministries we could not do ourselves. Tanikin blesses orphans. The Harpers and Faye Prindle educate people who become missionaries and church leaders. Doug Heidemann blesses both children and adults who have little access to education. We participate with Kelly Kosky in evangelizing people who never heard of Jesus. By supporting Aaron Layden and the Schultz and Mangles families, we help churches in China, Mexico, and Macedonia. It's good to do our part in building Jesus' kingdom. Yes, we are a blessing to many. But before we pat ourselves on the back for too long, let's remember that Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Our lives are pretty comfortable. But how big is our love? Is it big enough to suit our Savior? Nobody's asking us to die. But by spending our time, our talents, and yes, our cash, uh, to bless others, we are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, where time is no more, and eternity, like the Energizer Bunny, keeps going and going and going and going. And where we may hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Matthew 25, Jesus says that when we feed the hungry and thirsty, house the homeless, clothe the naked, visit the sick, and care for prisoners, we are doing it to him. He commanded us to preach the gospel, and whether we talk to people ourselves or support those who spend their lives preaching and doing evangelism, may we do it with enthusiasm and with a heart of love. I want to finish with words from a heritage singer's song that is a very dangerous prayer called Make Me Like You, and I Dare You to Pray It With Me. Make me like you, Lord. Please, make me like you. You are a servant. Make me one, too. Oh, Lord, I am willing. Do what you must do to make me like you, Lord. Please, make me like you. Amen. I have a confession to make. I'm a little bit jealous. When Jay preaches, he gets to wear a robe, and apparently... So does Diane Belhars. That just is not fair. I'll actually, I will affirm the two previous sermons because they actually covered a lot of the things that I intend to cover this morning. So you may hear a little bit of repetition here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak from the book of Ruth. And you know, we're all, build, we're all called to build up God's church. We're all called into community with each other to build up the church of Jesus Christ. It's not our church, it's Jesus' church. And we, every one of us who, who claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, are called to build His church. An example, I think, of being called to build the church is what we find in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth takes place in the time of the judges. That's how the book starts, in the time of the judges, when the judges ruled. 
And if you go back and you look into the book of Judges, you'll find that at that time, the, the, the community of, of God's people was in chaos. And today, as we go out these doors and we go out into the community, into our nation and into the world, we see chaos. The world is in chaos. If God, if people do not worship God, if people do not give their lives to Jesus Christ, they are living in chaos. There was a famine in the land, and Naomi's husband took the family out of where they were living in Bethlehem to the land of Moab. Now, Bethlehem means the house of bread. So figure that. In a time of famine, Elimelech left the house of bread to go into a pagan land. But you know what? As strange as that may seem, it suited God's purpose. It suited God's purpose because it allowed Naomi to be a beacon. And as Naomi was a beacon and brought Ruth out of the land of Moab, then the people uh, of God's people in Bethlehem were able to be a blessing to Ruth. And Ruth, in turn, became a blessing to all of us because she is in the lineage of Jesus the Christ. When Ruth comes out of Moab, she comes with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Naomi tells her, don't come with me. She's kind of like the reluctant prophet Jonah. Don't come with me. Don't, don't, don't come with me. I don't want you to come with me. But Ruth comes anyway, and she makes this impassioned speech to Naomi. And this is what she says. And our, our scripture for this morning, for, for this sermon anyway, is Ruth, the first chapter, verses 16 through 17. And this is what she says. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Let's look at that carefully for the next few minutes. When we joined Covenant Presbyterian Church, when we became members of this congregation, we stood up here in front of the congregation and made a profession of faith by answering four questions. Some of you joined when we were part of the PCUSA, and there were the four questions there, which the answers everybody should know are Jesus Christ, yes, yes, and yes. The questions are a little bit different for uh, the EPC. There's still the questions, and the, the meaning is essentially the same thing, but I want you to know that what I'm going to talk about this morning is based upon the four questions that we answered when we were in the uh, PCUSA. And when we look at Ruth's speech, let's take it apart. And Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. Where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. There was something about Naomi and probably not just Naomi, but perhaps her, her two sons and, and maybe even her husband, 
that was a, a beacon to Ruth. There was something that Ruth saw that Ruth wanted for herself. And that's the way that we should be if we are to build the church. Certainly we need to be modest and not brag about what we do and say, hey, look at me, I'm a Christian, so that makes me better than you. Certainly we don't do that. But we lead the Christian life. We lead the life that God has given us. We employ the talents that God has given us. And we do it joyfully. We do it joyfully knowing that we're serving Jesus Christ. And in serving Jesus Christ, we are also serving our fellow man. And we are doing what we are called to do. An interesting thing here is, it's a, Ruth says, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you stay, I will stay. The question in the, in the, um, in the PCUSA was, Will you be a faithful member of the congregation, giving yourself in every way? And when, will you seek the fellowship of the church wherever you may be? And we might think of that as, well, if I move out of Reno and I move to Austin, Texas, then I should seek out a church in Austin, Texas and join that church. Yes, that's probably what this meant. But look at it from the church's point of view today. Look at it from our point of view as being members of Covenant Presbyterian Church. And it's not so much as us moving away and seeking out another congregation to be a member of, but it's a, a matter of where is Covenant Presbyterian Church as a body, as a united body, where are we going? Where are we going together? Well, one of the places where we go is right here. Right here on a Sunday morning where we gather together for fellowship and to worship. We also come here on Wednesday afternoon for the kids club to serve not only our children, but the children of the neighborhood as well. The first place that we go is we sit right here in our home and worship Jesus Christ by being here and by doing the things that we do within these walls. But we also go out. We also go out into the neighborhood. We go out into the city. We go to, for example, Good Shepherd's Clothes Closet. And by extension at Good Shepherd's Clothes Closet, we're able to get into, at this time, nine elementary schools in the Washoe County School District. We go out into... Uh, awaken and we present a lifestyle to people whose life is in chaos it is shattered people who are who are desperate for something better than what they have and then we go beyond this community we go beyond this community in various ways. We go beyond this community in prayer. For it is in prayer that we sit in the prison cell with Andrew Brunson. We're there. As members of the body of Christ, we are there. 
through our tithes and offerings. We are laboring alongside Tanakin and Kelly Kosky. We are there. We are building up the church. We are building up the church not as we want to build up the church, but we are building up the church as we are called to do so by Jesus Christ and as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Never, ever think that what we accomplish is by our own strength and by our own wisdom. It comes from Jesus Christ and Christ alone. It is His church and He blesses us with the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and to empower us in building up His church. Ruth says, Your people will be my people and your God my God. That is what we want people to understand. We want them to know that when they come to Covenant Presbyterian Church or to any church, because remember, we're building up Jesus' church, not our own church. And I have to tell you, as some of you may know, I work in a mission downtown. And when I invite people to church, I'm not necessarily inviting them to this church. I'm inviting them to a Christ-basis church somewhere, usually in the downtown area. We've got to remember that building the church isn't just about building covenant. It's about building the church of Jesus Christ. Many people that we witness to, many people who will see us leading a Christian life in the community, many people who will wonder what it is that we have that they don't have, many people who will become Christians and give their lives to Jesus Christ because what they see in us, many if not most of those people will never set foot in this church, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play in their lives because it's Jesus' church, not our church. We are one people with Christians around the world. And we worship the same God, Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is but one God, and that is our message. There is but one God, and there is only one way to come to Him, and that is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And then Ruth says, Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. That is a commitment. That is a commitment on the part of Ruth. And just as each and one, every one of us when we joined Covenant Presbyterian Church, we made a commitment. We made a commitment to God Almighty, to our Savior Jesus Christ, we made a commitment to each other. We made a commitment to, to honor God by spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a commitment. And remember the commitment of Jesus Christ himself when he went to the cross. 
He bore each and every one of our sins, all of the griefs that we have in our life. He took to the cross with him. Jesus Christ leads by example. We are called to be imitators of Christ. And Christ gave his life for us. And in turn, to build his church, we are called to give our life for him and our life for each other. Total commitment, that's what it takes to build the church. Jesus Christ leads by example. He gave total commitment when he was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and he rose from the grave. One of the things that Pastor Jay and the session of Covenant Presbyterian Church are asking each one of our members to do is to make a commitment to come to the GO Conference next Saturday. I think that it's really going to be a milestone in the life of this congregation. Back a couple years ago, Life Action Ministries came, and they, they did a really good job. I'll tell you, for those of you who were, were here back then, I don't remember how many years ago, two, three years ago. It made an impact on my life. It really did. It's kind of funny. I, I, I was thinking of them just this morning when, when, when they were here. Uh, they, they took an offering. They were here three nights, and they took an offering each of the three nights. And I really wasn't prepared at the time to... to, to to uh, participate in the offering, but they handed out envelopes. So I got home and I had three envelopes, and I made the commitment that I would uh, send a contribution to them in those three envelopes at, over a course of a couple of months. And, and when I got to the end of the three envelopes, that that would be the end of my commitment. The thing of it is, every time I sent them an envelope, they sent me an envelope back. Okay. So Life Action Ministries has really made an impression on my life. But, you know, that's kind of the way that it is uh, when you make a commitment to Christ. You make a commitment to give, and he gives you back. And then you give, and he gives you back. And what he gives is so much more, so much more than what you give. And that's what people need to understand. That, that's part of the message that we need to take out into the community as we seek to be builders of the church of Jesus Christ. The GO Conference coming up this, this uh, Saturday is free. So you don't have to worry about envelopes, okay? But it's free. It starts at 8.30 in the morning and it goes to, I think, about 4, 4.30 in the, in the, in the evening. And it's an opportunity for us to not just make a commitment to go, but to make a recommitment to what we want to do for Jesus Christ. We make a confession of faith. 
And all too often we say, well, you know what, I made a confession of faith. But from time to time, we really do need to recommit. We need to recommit in order to keep Christ fresh in our lives. We need to, to recommit so that we can go out and make Christ fresh in the lives of others. This is what we're called to do in the, in the Great Commission. So I hope that each and every one of you will put aside whatever it is that you had to do next Saturday and come to the, to the GO conference. When Ruth ended her speech, she said, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. That's a nice ending, and it shows her commitment. But if we were to make that same speech that Ruth made, we might end it just a little bit differently. We might say, where you die, I will die. And where you're buried, so will I be buried. And in the same manner in which thou art resurrected, so shall I be also. Because that is the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. That is the promise that Jesus Christ gives to us as his faithful followers, is that someday, when we pass from this life, we will be resurrected with him to go into the presence of God the Father Almighty. And the question before us this morning, the question that we must ask ourselves this morning, the question that we must ask ourselves after the GO conference, the question that we must ask ourselves every day of our lives is simply this. When Christ comes again, will he say to us, well done, you good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We come before you this morning wanting to be beacons, blessers, and builders for the church of Jesus Christ so that all the world will proclaim, proclaim him Lord and Savior. We know that this is a great task and it can only be achieved through the work of the Holy Spirit. We give to you our lives, O Lord, and pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.